we're human. We have a human condition. God made his body soul composite. And so because of the fall, we deal with this, this drama of sin that affects us every day. And so for me, that drama is very real. And I'm questioning, all right, I've made it here. I've barely got any money. I've got two bags in my name. Why? How? What am I supposed to do? And, and then he sends Father Michael. Welcome back to another episode of Open Door Policy. We're so excited to have you join us today. I am your co-host, Emily Mentock, and excited to be joined today by... The other co-host, Father Patrick Gagno. Hello, Emily. How are you? I'm doing well, Father Patrick. How are you? Lent, Lent is coming up. How, any plans for Lent? Oh, get holy. Get, get holy. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's, on, what's up with you with your, your Lenten plans so far? You know, at the time of this recording, I haven't figured out everything for Lent, but, um, I, I am excited for, um, I actually went back to, this was published last year, Archbishop's guideposts for Lent. I don't know if you were aware we were pushing those out like twice a week last year. He had 10 guideposts for Lent and I was just in planning some Lenten content, uh, going back and reflecting on those, you know, they were written certainly with a perspective of being a year into the pandemic at the time, but still Mm -hmm. quite evergreen. And, um, just going back to always, you know, what is the Lent that God is calling us to have? How do we stay focused on back, always returning to the Lord with your whole heart, like our Ash Wednesday reading say. So it's been fun kind of planning out some of those things and, um, getting in the mindset of preparing for, okay, this whole Mm -hmm. heart returning to the Lord and how is God reaching out to me in this Lent in particular? So that's, that's where we're at today at the time of this recording. (laughs) I love it. And I thank God for you and the other listeners out there. We're thanking God for you jumpstarting the engine for any of us. (laughs) They're like, Whoa, I gotta get cooking. Um, what's on my heart is with prayer, fasting, and almsgiving to, to take a look at those three areas. And what I did before Advent, and it was fruitful, and I'll do it again for Lent, is uh, do a holy hour, sit, sit before the Blessed Sacrament, and come up with a plan. And uh, I can tend to be a little over-aspirational, but, <laughs> but it's fun because uh, you may as well aim high. So uh, I'll sit before the Blessed Sacrament and look at those areas of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and, and allow those to be a lens to look through. And how can I allow the Lord to, how can I cooperate more with his grace to allow my heart, my mind to be aligned with him and let him shine brighter through me. And I just love the Sermon on the Mount when he gets into that about prayer, fasting and almsgiving. And yes. those, are, those will be the strategic anchors as all Catholics embrace for the, the penitential season. So that's what's up. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited for, we have a guest today who certainly loves Jesus, loves the Lord. I've been so inspired by the way, uh, he, you know, you know, I, I, uh, was telling Ron, our producer, this right before everyone joined that I'm super excited for this episode, because if you father Patrick are the person I've met in the AOD, who's like Mm. our, my number one, like scripture quoting back to the source kind of friend in every conversation, like Dr. Marlon De La Torre is definitely giving you a run for the money of how Ah, he is also able to quote scripture (laughs) and the catechism. So our two great loves bring coming together. So I'm super excited to have him on the podcast today as well. Some fun facts for people, Mm. uh, if they may, don't know Dr. De La Torre. Um, he owns a lot of books. It's true. It's proof folks. We are looking at a very full bookshelf behind him as we record this podcast. He owns a lot of books and he has probably read them too, not just owned them, but actually read them and studied them. Um, he loves to wrestle with his kids and his family, uh, which sounds super fun. Um, I'm sure we can find out more about that beautiful Christ-centered family life Mm -hmm. later on the podcast. And he was taught how to box. So 
Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, a loving kind of boxing, not a yeah. fighter, <laughs> uh, fun, fun boxing background. And if anyone who doesn't know, Dr. Marlon De La Torre, uh, joined the archdiocese as the director of evangelization mm-hmm. and missionary discipleship last fall. So we are super excited to have him on the podcast today. Welcome Dr. Marlon. Oh, it's Woo! a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Father Patrick. Thanks for coming. It's great to be here. So tell us your story. Where you know you grew up with Jesus and the family, and oh gosh, let me get some of the background. Boring story, boring story. No, uh, grew up uh, born on a border town called Calexico, California, mm-hmm. uh, with a typical Hispanic family that was culturally Catholic in many ways. Um, if you, it, I'll put you this way: uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe was considered. Um, uh, the revered image for us. So if you dissed our Lady Guadalupe, you'd be in trouble. Wow. And we'd, we'd place her in, in a higher degree, culturally speaking, than our Lord in many ways. So, or my mm-hmm. brother would say, if you look at the Blessed Mother in the wrong way, you're going to go to hell. If you look at God in the wrong way, you'll be okay. But, uh, oh, no. <laughs> but uh, th- that was just part of our culture growing yeah. up. So you would have murals and, and big things of Our Lady Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. And so that was uh, my initial upbringing. We, we never went to Mass growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're very cultural in terms of our understanding of Catholicism. God punishes. God loves. God listens to you when he wants to. But everything always directed to mom to the blessed mm. mother. So that was part of our, uh, of our family upbringing. So whenever we would see anything bad, it's like, all right, God's angry or God's going to mm. punish you. So that was part of the scope. But, um, growing up on a border is very unique for those of you who can relate, uh, who's listening to this podcast. It's a tale of two cities taken from Charles Dickens, because you have, mm. uh, really the United States side, and then you have the Mexican side where I grew up. And growing up on a farm, uh, you understand a lot of the uh, the beauty of nature. You understand how you grew up and you cultivate the land. So my mother's side of the family, you had a lot of farmers. My grandfather mm. was a farmer. They owned a lot of cattle. Mm. They grew alfalfa, wheat, you name it. Uh, we lived off the land. And, and that was a beautiful thing to see because that was my first exposition to God. Mm. So when you look at the abundance of what land can produce, there's only one creator that can give all this there's only somebody that from the very beginning um we listen we see we articulate it's almost if you take the prologue of saint john's gospel and Mm -hmm. from the beginning from what we have seen what we have heard also what we consume what we can eat all those things are beautifully intertwined with uh what i saw as being god god must be good because i feel really good about eating this orange right now Ah. Uh, um, uh, so this was part of my upbringing um growing up as I matured, uh, people don't know this, but English was not my first language. I didn't mm. pick up English until I was age seven. And wow. so, um, so Spanish was my, my native tongue, but my grandmother, God bless her, always emphasized that if we're going to survive in the United States, master English and do mm. the best you can with it. So syntax, grammar, you name it. And, and that for me was quite uh, uh, revelatory because I'll age myself a little bit. I picked up English through television. And okay. one particular show stood out, Three's Company. Wow. That was my first introduction to learning English via mm. TV. So I would use these phrases in, in public school, and the kids are wondering, what the heck are you talking about? Oh, no. <laughs> so I would use these things. I'm like, I just thought I was within the crowd. As I mastered the English and I got older, I realized, mm-hmm. oh, I sounded really dumb. I didn't ah. realize it. I mean, trying to imitate John Ritter is not the most appropriate thing <laughs> a conversation with, with a child your age. But um, so my, my upbringing was very cultural, uh, very direct, but it wasn't until, I'm going to jump ahead, 
uh, fifth grade where my mother decided you need to make your first Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. I said, what's that? I was like, well, what do you mean first Holy Communion? It's like, yeah, you're going to learn about Jesus and you're going to learn about receiving Jesus. I'm like, you got me. I have no idea where we're going with this. So I made my first Holy Communion at fifth grade, still a public Mm -hmm. school kid. And then my grandmother decided to tell my mother, you got to up the ante a little bit. Mm. I was like, and I'm like, well, what's going on? It's like, we're going to send you to Catholic school. I said, absolutely not. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> we're not going to do this. We're not going anywhere. Um, I, I, I did believe in God, sort of, sort of. I knew he was there. I knew he was present because there was so much of a cultural aspect to mm-hmm. me growing up that he's got to be real in some mm-hmm. way. Um, so then I was thrown into seventh grade. So I went to sixth grade at a public school. The Catholic school was right next door in the wow. town of all central California. I walk into my first day of class and I see this diminutive little Dominican nun in a full habit. I've never mm. seen a woman in a habit before. I thought she was a freak. Um, wow. I, thought she, I, I just did, couldn't, couldn't fathom. Uh, wow. But she had a yardstick. So Ooh. every story I had heard about nuns carrying sticks came true right before my very eyes. Oh, no. And I'm looking there. And so I'm, I scale and do a glance of the entire classroom. And I'm like, that's the desk I'm going to sit at. The very last desk in the corner of the room. So no one can bother me at all. Mm. So I was just in the, in the back. Yeah. So it happened to be religion class. Cool. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be boring. This is a death of me. It's a death by religion. <laughs> I looked at it. And she said, all right, kids, I want you to turn to John 6. Oh, wow. Verse 37, Eucharistic Discourse. Come right on. before the seven proclamations of our Lord of who he is as body and blood, right? Mm-hmm. Not that I knew that at the time. So I'm looking at all these kids opening up this book that I'd never touched before in my life called the Bible. Wow. Never opened a Bible ever in my life. Now, I did receive a Bible for First Holy Communion. Well, that stayed closed. Uh, wow. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking around. And so what Sister Carmen, all right, Sister uh, Maria de Carmen, Sister Carmen, what she was doing was this, Father Patrick slowly pacing Mm. next to every student and there were 33 kids in the class and she would grab the yardstick and hit the desk Mm. every time she walked by making sure that they were on john 6 verse 37 so eventually she's she hits my row Uh i'm like oh no i'm like all right and i look up to the ceiling and i said lord if you're real you're gonna open for me to John, whatever this is, whatever this is, whatever this is, and you're going to just help me. If you're real, I will believe in you. So right before she comes to my desk, I open the Bible and lo and behold, John six, verse six. Wow. Go, um, God, go. I start, I start laughing and smiling. I look up at the ceiling. Okay. I I give, I believe you. I, I, okay. I concede. And so that was the start of my understanding that there must be a God or he has a plan for my life because the first two quarters of religion, I flunked third Mm. quarter. I I barely passed with a C minus fourth quarter. I passed with a C plus. So sister had mercy on me and I received an understanding of redemptive suffering because mm-hmm. she saw my struggle. She saw I was a complete known, nothing. Mm-hmm. I need nothing. Mm-hmm. And she took the time to at least journey with me and understood that I, I had no context or pretext mm-hmm. about Catholicism other than what I learned via family. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first step, I would say, Father Patrick, and where I began to understand 
that there is a God, that he will do something in my life, and then that he does have mercy. Wow, he, yeah. he is a merciful God. He, he is a loving God. And that gave me the opportunity to really dive into religion more and really figure out what is this all about. So through that time, um, I, I dove into a lot of literature, and that's where my love for reading really took mm-hmm. off. So we were studying things like Dante, Chaucer, mm-hmm. we were reading uh, Fulton Sheen, I was introduced mm-hmm. to Belloc, Chesterton, all these heavyweights, and oh, yeah. even in public school, public, my public school actually had a great books program at that time awesome that that we were exposed to that so i knew some of this stuff already i never equated it with catholicism wow period to me it was just good reading this is good stuff and when i saw the catholic context i'm like huh okay i get this i see where this is coming from awesome and so that just flourished my my thirst to 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 really digest more Mm -hmm. of this beautiful reading and that slowly opened me up to the bible a little bit more to study Uh the bible and figuring out that uh, there's something valuable in this word of god um so that was my journey that led me to a catholic high school with a beautiful Mm -hmm. Catholic mentor who was my theology professor who um, long story short was my everything mentor guide got me involved in kairos uh helped me do retreats fell in love with the eucharist during during Kairos as well, mm-hmm. where um, I just never knew he existed until then. Wow. Um, I mean, truly, I mean, I knew he was real, but to have that, that interior experience of knowing, I just, you just gave me your body and blood. Wow. You're, you're in me. Now, what do I do with this gift? Amazing. That, that, hey, that, zoom in on that for a sec, Doc. Was it like on that Kairos retreat? Was it when you received, it sounds like when you received communion. You know, yeah, just, whoa. Yeah. So what happened was they had asked me to do one of the keynote presentations. And uh, I prepared for it. I gave it. The, the kids left it a senior year Kairos retreat. And wow. I walked away after an hour. I went into the, the uh, per- perpetual ad- adoration chapel for the whole weekend. Uh-huh. So the moment I walked in, this burst of heat hit me. And there was only uh, there was one of the one of the associate pastors who was also uh, one of our co-retreat directors um, was in a trance of some sort. I walked in. I was hit with this intense heat. Wow. And then I, I started gazing at the monstrance. Wow. And I said, what is going on? And I heard a voice, you've done well. And now I said, now relax and just be in my presence. And I'm like, who's, who's saying this? Hooray. But then I started crying uh, uncontrollably for probably an hour or so. So I, um, I just fell basically most likely slain in the spirit. Most likely, that's probably what happened because I just completely collapsed in a trance. And then I got up and I was still feeling this heat, looking at the Eucharist with my arms outstretched and just praising him as I've never done before, never experienced before in my life. Wow. And that just kept going on and on for probably, Mm. I think somebody was worried about me because they came in and they left me alone. Then they came in again uh, two hours later. So Amazing. what they told me was I had been in that chapel for two straight hours, unbeknownst to me, which felt like two minutes. Praise wow. you, God. What a gift. That is so, so beautiful. That retreat up in Big Bear, California at Sacred Heart Retreat Center was definitely a uh, the engagement. Uh-huh. Okay. That was the awakening. That was the encounter that really told me, all right, I got to do something with this. Mm. Wow. There, there's something I need to do with this because it wow. wasn't in my purview. 
I, I that was not my intention. Love of God, yes. Incorporate mm-hmm. him into my daily life, of course. Mm-hmm. This is beyond that. Something happened. And so um, my professor of theology, uh, his name was Dennis Jacobelli. We called him Jake, uh, who was my everything, my mentor, guy, basketball mm-hmm. coach, strength coach. Wow. I asked him, Jake, I want to do what you do. I want to teach. Awesome. Awesome. So he told me, you've got three options at that time, going way back into late 80s, uh, early 90s. Um, he said, either go to the Ignatian Institute uh, in San Francisco under Father Fessio, University of Dallas, mm-hmm. and specifically work with Dr. Janet Smith and Dr. Marcelino de Ambrosio, ah. Dr. Mark Lowry at that time, or go to Franciscan University of Steubenville. He said, so those are your three options. Well, I wanted to get out of California completely mm. and um, just didn't want to be there anymore. So I applied to Dallas and Franciscan, cold applications, got accepted to both, but decided I'm going to the furthest point away from home. Ah. So I'm just going to go to Ohio. And awesome. uh, not knowing too much about the, uh, the university other than it was charismatic and that mm-hmm. I had been exposed to a charismatic prayer group uh, back home mm-hmm. and took off on a wow. one-way Amtrak ticket for three and a half days. Because we didn't have too much money at that point in time. I saved up everything from work and carried two bags with me, $300 cash in my pocket. That's all I had. Awesome. And with a, uh, an intention to do something with God. That's I it. Love it. Wow. What a sense of adventure. Yeah, it was crazy wow. because um, I'm in this Amtrak train and we're just taking off from San Diego, um, from the San Diego depot and I'm off. Oh, and I'm like, what did I just do? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going through, I remember going through St. Louis and they had a massive flood. We barely crossed over the Mississippi river. Uh, and then uh, we stopped in Chicago. I said, I'm going to get a deep dish pizza. Why the heck? Why not? I'll mm-hmm. try something new. And then, <laughs> um, then eventually stopped in Pittsburgh. That was the final stop. Somebody was supposed to pick me up. They were two hours late. And uh, then they couldn't find my bags. And I said, Lord, uh, even if I just have what's on me, that's fine. We'll make it work. They found my bags. Thank goodness. And, and the ride came and I ended up at Franciscan university. Uh, wow. Funny story. Okay. So I get through three days early at Franciscan unbeknownst to me. I didn't know anything. Uh, <laughs> I had no clue what the I, 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 orientation. What's that? So I get oh, there man. because I transferred from junior college and, uh-huh. um, because I mean, I played, uh, played basketball in high school. I was all, mm-hmm. all league, all region, everything. We're big yeah. fans of basketball on this podcast. Yeah. Hey, fantastic. <laughs> so I played junior college ball and then, wow. and I had aspirations of playing uh, D one, but uh, being a six, two Mexican guard doesn't get you. Anywhere. Um, <laughs> even though, even though I could, I could pretty much play pretty well, but um so uh, I'm there early and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? So they weren't expecting me. So I was fortunate enough to get a key to my room, but I couldn't get off campus. I had no, um, no vehicle and mm. everything was closed except for the cafeteria for international students. And I'm huh. like, Hmm. All right, Lord, I know what I need to do, but I need your permission to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I walk up to the cafeteria. So this beautiful lady named Cindy. Cindy was there for, gosh, 25, 30 years. She passed on. But before she passed on, she came, she came home to the Catholic Church. Awesome. So I'm looking at Cindy, and I'm like, um, and I said, she asked me, so are you an international student? Before I said anything, I said, see. Oh, no. <laughs> I can see. Because she said, well, if you're an international student, you can come into the cafeteria because you're allowed to eat three days prior to orientation only mm. for international students who are traveling from across uh, the world. 
and I said, well, gracias. And so what's her name? Marlon de la Torre. Okay, let me write your name. Here's your pass for three days and go from there. Because I had no food on me and I didn't want to right. spend whatever money Your I had little left. money on like the first three wow. days. So God provided for three straight days, three square meals a day uh, <laughs> until I was able to get my meal plan and everything else situated. Mm -hmm. So I knew through all these steps going to school, all right, Lord, there's there's got to be something here. And yeah. um and my, well, school uh, going all the way back to, to fifth grade, right? It's yeah. like this this whole Steps. New, going up to this moment of like yeah. actually as a as a young adult, but as an adult taking this step to live yeah. your life for God by going to study so you can Man. do that work. I mean, just to Correct. have that tie through Catholic school, how powerful it is. You know, wow. one of the things when he asks you to do something, mm. um, there's always something you have to leave behind. Oh, okay. and, and that's very difficult, very challenging. So for me, it was leaving my family because uh, I was the oldest of four and my younger siblings looked up to me to take care of them a lot because I had taken that role as a parent for them. So leaving them was actually quite challenging because they relied on me for a lot of things. So, and I said, Lord, I lifted up to you. And in Mexican culture, um, the oldest is supposed to take over the family. And so it, it, during our time, uh, we had owned several Mexican restaurants. My dad was an mm. entrepreneur. Um, he was the type of person who would make it and then lose it all of them, mm. that type mm. of thing. At that point, when I left, he had lost a lot. So we didn't have a lot of money. So I only took 300 with me thinking I'll make it. I can yeah. deal with 300. I'm by myself. I don't need much. I, I can and look if the saints can do it, I can pull it off. Right and so that was my, my mentality at the time. And so my father who didn't practice a faith, very culturally Catholic, angry with God for a lot of other reasons, basically mm. felt that I chose God above him. Mm. So he stopped talking to me for a lot of years wow. or had difficulty just even conversing with me because I left the family in his mind. It's a big so, sacrifice to make. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't easy. So that's literally part of my story that I got to Steubenville and then Steubenville just opened a lot of doors for me moving forward, um, which was great. And uh, I'm just grateful for that. But th that's wow. part of the part of the journey, Emily and Father, that really Amazing. allowed me to forge and confirm that I'm called to do something on his behalf. This has been awesome. And uh, I feel like for those who are, are, are listening to the podcast, it's, it's like listening almost it's like listening to a great audio book. At the moment, it is. Really. Yeah, I thought so, the same thing. <laughs> so and, I, and there's many of us who are like, cue Father Michael Scanlon at some point soon. But I have a story with Father Mike. So Father Mike, so I'm, I'm walking up um, towards Egan Hall, for those of you who know the university well, my fellow alumni out there, and the sun's about to set. I'm walking up and I see this man in a white robe. And I'm like, who is this? And he, all right, a, a guy in a robe, he's got to be a priest. Okay. And so, because the only priests I knew were basically diocesan cleric, I'd never seen either a Franciscan, a Dominican, a Cistercian, you name it, wow. um, a Benedictine. So I'm looking at him and he looked at me with his eyes, with his hazel blue eyes, gray hair. He mm. said, are you okay, son? Wow. And I'm, I'm looking at him. It's like, father? It's like, yes, I don't know. And he said, what do you mean? I don't know why I'm here. Wow. And I said, I have no idea why I'm in Ohio away from my family in California and what have you. Mm -hmm. So as I'm talking with him, he, he looks at me, puts his hands on my shoulders. Okay? Uh -huh. He says, God brought you here for a reason. He wants you here to do something for him. Don't you forget that no matter what you go through, he will never leave you. Mm. And so he starts praying over me. I'm like, yeah, okay, guys, the guy's praying over me in the oh, middle yeah. of 
this campus. I'm like, okay, this is, and I just, I just go with it, Marlon, just go with it. Um, so he, I just felt another surge. Okay. So follow the theme of surging, the oh, surge yeah. uh, that I got, so to speak, um, with sister Carmen, the surge at the Kairos retreat. Now yeah. here's surge number three. Whoa. So very Trinitarian. And, um, so he looks at me, he basically says, you're going to be fine. Uh, God loves you. I love you. Thank you. I said, thank you, Father. So then I go my merry way walking through the campus. I didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. Three days later, orientation, everybody's yelling, screaming. We're doing praise and worship. All this is new to me. Uh -huh. and, so, and, and then on the microphone, they said, and welcome our president, Father Michael Scanlon. So he walks <laughs> up and I'm like, that's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy who basically I spoke to walking up the hill. Wow. And so he's the one that put his hands on me and says, you're going to be just fine. God has a plan mm. for you. So once I saw that, mm. Father, I'm like, okay, God is good. He's got a plan for me. Why me? I have no idea, but we're on our way. So that's um, literally part of the story. Love that. Love that story. Yeah. I'm a big fan uh, as a Notre Dame grad and a sports yeah. fan. I'm a big fan of the movie Rudy. And it just reminds me, it's like, what a blessing again, back to Catholic schools, Catholic education, yes. to have a priest on mm, campus who's absolutely. there, who can be that moment of God really meeting you and telling you it's going to be okay. And I mean, can regular non-priests can do that too, of course, but yeah, what a blessing to have that. I love that story of like, just needing to find your way and a priest offering those beautiful words, knowing right. to pray over you in that <laughs> moment, to give you the grace you needed to, to get to that first uh, orientation, praise and worship. Amen. Amen. He's one of the honestly, I know I don't need to tell you, Doc, but he's he's one of the spiritual giants of uh yes. recent years in the mm -hmm. United States and in, in this region, especially. And for him to mm -hmm. pray over you and you to get that surge, what a launch to your years at Franciscan. Oh, I think if it wasn't for him when I was wow. asking that question, Father Patrick's like, and I was wow. asking it as I was walking up, I was like, Lord, why am I here? I have no idea why I'm here. And then he came. Yeah. Amazing. And then he he looked Amazing. at me, he, he took the time, put his hands on me, prayed over me. Wow. Um, and then from there, I was like, okay, I'm going to be all right. Because wow. look, every journey, mm. you there we're human. We have a human condition. God mm -hmm. made his body, soul composite. And so mm -hmm. be, because of the fall, we deal with this, this drama of sin that affects mm -hmm. us every day. And so for me, that drama is very real. And mm -hmm. I, I'm questioning, all right, I've made it here. I've barely got any money. I've got two bags in my name. Why? How? What am I supposed to do? And, and then he sends Father Michael. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and it was just us on campus. Emily, the funny thing is there was wow. no one else, just he and I. So, wow. so incredible. What, so a, what an amazing journey, like up to that point of like yeah. Franciscan, which gave you the education. Mm. I mean, you, you did in many ways set out or uh, end up doing what uh, your mentor had told you, okay, yeah. this is the path to go. This is how you're going to have your career, uh, then living your life for the Lord and teaching others yeah. about it. So I just want to, I want to fast forward a little bit, right. To, you know, to the, to the present time, yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. you know, here we are, you wow. have had this incredible career. We won't, we'll, uh, we'll allow you to be a humble man on the podcast, Dr. <laughs> we won't go through your entire you don't have to. here right you don't now, have to. but no. you've, you've had an, an incredible career that has um, led to this moment where now you're yeah. meeting all of us and here on this podcast as yeah. the director of evangelization and missionary discipleship. And so yeah. with that, that start, you know, be an, an educated start, that personal encounter, that powerful, prayerful, charismatic encounter, and then the, mm. everything you've learned over the past many years, you know, what does that mean to you today, living your life for that same Jesus who met you and drew you in toward himself at that time now in your role as director of EMD? I think I look at it from this perspective, um, and I'm not placing myself or paralleling myself with these figures, but 
when you look at our Lord speaking to Moses in the form of the burning bush, when you look at Samuel, when you hear David, when you look at Jeremiah, and when Jeremiah laments and God tells him, I think in Jeremiah 12, do not worry, I will handle this. You do what you are supposed to do, what I've called you to do. Um, God never leaves you alone. And he offers you the opportunity to, to speak in his name. And so my role now, as I've seen it through the lenses of so many experiences and through so many great holy witnesses that I've been fortunate to be a, to be a, a part of in their lives who've taken the time to form me, my role now is to speak well of Jesus Christ, that my actions, my words reflect his love. And that what I do in terms of teaching, the proclamation of the gospel, the kerygma, um, uh, general conversation, or just being a silent witness or an intercessor, is to represent him clearly. And it is not my own demonstration. It's demonstrating God's love. And he wants to use me as the, the key agent to do that. So uh, in many respects, Emily, that's how I view my role. Um, it's not about giving you the profound dissertation or the thesis statement, or God forbid the, the great five page paper that's going to knock someone's socks off. It's not. It's can I in some way speak well of him where someone sees it and is, and is hungry to learn more of it. That, that's the distinction of our role as being effective um, teachers, practitioners, catechists, evangelists, all rolled into one. So uh, my role mm -hmm. now through those experiences um, is to take the time to look at someone and say, look, I will pray for you, just like Father Mike did to me, or uh, have the opportunity mm -hmm. to experience a, a Eucharistic conversion where mm -hmm. somebody is being led to our Lord in that, in that capacity. Um, I, I am responsible for that. And I, I understand that. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I would say it's a element of beauty to know that you're part of the grand symphony yeah of God's grace. And, and, and that's something important that we don't hear enough of. We are literally living in a beautiful musical note who is God as conductor, and we are simply his instruments, literally, to make sure that everything sounds and is beautiful. Yeah. You know, Doc, I can't, I can't quote the passage from the catechism, but yeah. as I listen to you right now, a few things come together for me. Um, wow, I love it. I love it. You know, Paul... Once upon a time, it, you know, he once wrote, knowledge puffs up. But yes. no, no, it, it can be such a beautiful thing that this, the, the intellectual study and, and the transformation of the heart through uh, that, that revelation and, and understanding and contact. And the, the passage in Romans 8, where Paul oh. writes that we are being conformed to the image of the Son. And yes. as that's happening through your study, your prayer, and then this, this clarified, simplified um, I want to clearly uh, offer my voice and represent him th that as you're being conformed to Jesus and you speak about Jesus and your mm -hmm. teaching capacity and your ministry, that John, going back to John 6, glory to God, yeah. when you open that book and bam, it happened. And now, like the Lord's saying to you, your words are spirit and life. You know, like how he said, my words, are, the words I've spoken are spirit and life and mm -hmm. that truth. And then the catechism passage I cannot think of is, the catechist, insofar as they teach the truth, lend their lips to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that that you are seeking to demonstrate that and 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 uh, help facilitate that 
that for others too, because when you when it's Dr. Marlon De La Torre, that can be like, whoa, that's that's I mean, that's a heavy hitter there. And then it's also like you're like living, like Matthew eleven twenty five, like you've hidden this from the wise and the learned, but you've yes. revealed it to the child. Like like yeah, I got a doctor and I got knowledge, but but what I'm doing is actually very I'm very simply with all these gifts and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and favor and blessing, mm -hmm. trying to represent Jesus in a way that people feel and hear him. Zedek, yeah, doc. Oh, amen. Amen. I think, I mean, when you look at it from this perspective, I, I look at St. Paul's to the to Colossians mm -hmm. and really where he does the exhortation in chapter three to look vertically, not horizontally, look from above, not from below. And that is very telling because in my journey, he somehow managed to guide me to look above. And through all that, it was quite unique. As I look at, I'm just telling you the story now, I'm reflecting back, everything was to look above, to seek him and to avoid the, the temptations that the earth can provide you, even though they are very tantalizing, they are, they're very uh, delicious from a human perspective, but yet always seek that which comes from above. And it's, yeah. it's very telling when you look at that because I think when you look at St. Paul, uh, whether you read Romans 8 or even Romans 7 when he's dealing with sin or the proclamation of faith in Romans 5, mm -hmm. I think that there's something telling. I mean, I think if you want to do like a biblical exhortation on how to grow mm -hmm. in Christ, read chapters 5 through 8 of, of Romans. And, <laughs> I, mean, it's, it's just, I mean, if you want to get cold hard about it, read chapters 5 through 8. There's your Lenten sacrifice right there. It'll tell you what you, you need to do. Um, but I, I think for me, if if I begin to seek myself to be served rather than to serve, I, mm. I think then we lose sight of who we are. And our baptismal call really reflects mm. the fact of uh, we're called to be stewards and we're mm -hmm. called to serve and to seek the lowly. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's our part of our beatitudinal call, Matthew 5. Mm -hmm. Amen. Boy, one of the people who loves St. Paul's letter to the Romans most is Emily. I'm alley-ooping it to Emily. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> Three times in a row it's come up with my, I we, we've shared on the podcast before, Dr. Delatory, about I, I do love St. Paul. Oh, I didn't Romans, know that. Oh, Romans 8 oh, is, yeah. like, is like my favorite because um, I love grace. <laughs> that's pretty Amen. straightforward there. Um, but I, I definitely agree. You can see, awesome. you know, for the, it, it's so incredible because, you know, in this diocese, the the Holy Spirit, I would say, has led us to, to dream big, right? Yes, and I don't think yes. it's a bad thing by any means. We dream big. We There's mm -hmm. so many people, and I think especially the people who listen to this podcast who, mm -hmm. who believe mm -hmm. in the work that the Holy Spirit is doing to unleash the gospel in a yes. new and big and amazing and inspiring way. And so sometimes when, when you're dreaming big and the Holy Spirit's allowing mm -hmm. you to do that, um, you want to, you want to do big things too, right? Mm. So you can make these plans and um, we have all these, uh, ah. these things that we try to do all the time, you know, again, like from a, from a really authentic, authentic place of like wanting to build the kingdom, uh, yeah. wanting to unleash the gospel. And we do all these things, but it's so um, really incredible to hear that you sitting at, in this um, seat of, of being really brought here by the spirit to carry out Sure. what, how the spirit is leading archbishop, yeah. you could, you, this person who could be in charge of so many plans, just being like, Hey guys, it's simple. I'm mm. here to reflect well in Jesus. I'm here to be Jesus. I'm here to mm. speak well of Jesus. Amen. I'm here to act well, but yeah. according to his model and all these plans that we can build, it has mm. to be that for all of yeah. us. So I, I'm just super inspired to hear mm. someone for you, the director of evangelization and missionary discipleship to say, it's, it's actually that simple for living your life in whatever mm. your title may be. 
And yeah. I, I'm super inspired by that. Oh, praise God. No, I think um, the, sim- the, the simplicity of things is, I think, uh, something that's overlooked. San Francisco Sales talks about the, the, the aspect of humility and simplicity. He talks this in his treatise of God, which I recommend, but also his introduction to about life talks about the whole premise of seeking the simple in the heart, which eliminates the propensity to sin. So if you look at the simplicity of somebody and you reflect on that, then everything else is basically becomes mute and void. And that's what we're, we're supposed to live our life for one, and also seek the beauty in each and every single individual, even those who hate you. And, and that's, that's mm-hmm. part of the, the beauty of our faith yes. is the fact that, okay, we're not quote unquote uh, responsible for what they do. Right. Okay. But are we called to pray or intercede for them? Of course. And sometimes mm-hmm. we, we tend to forget that. Um, mm-hmm. I'll give you a great story. Um, I was doing a, a presentation for a men's conference and about a good 125 men in this particular conference. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the theme was men of prayer. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, I give a little bit of my backstory, start witnessing to them a little bit. And then I ask them, I always ask this, this direct to your face, throw stone right to Goliath question. I do this all the time. I ask these, these fathers, how many of you pray with or over your children? God. Look at about 125 guys. So out of 125, three raised their hand. Mm. Okay. So they're all stunned. They're all looking like three. And so they put, or they put their hands down. All right. How many of you over the last month or two months have taken the time to literally ask God to pray for your children to not walk away from their faith? No hands. So I told the gentleman, your first and primary responsibility is the fact that you are a caretaker for that child that belongs to God. Mm -hmm. God gave you that child. He used you as an instrument with your beloved spouse to bring this child into the world, to be another agent of the gospel, to proclaim him in some way. You need to take care of the soul of that child that's been entrusted to you by God. So you see all these faces, all of a sudden it's like, okay, guilt comes through and that wasn't the intention the intention is i'm calling them forth to first and foremost be fathers be husbands be caretakers be intercessors for the mm-hmm. love of jesus christ make sure that you take care of that soul because mm-hmm. no one's told them to and so it's something as simple as praying over or with your children every night have a have a holy water bottle have a bottle yeah. of oil have blessed salt have a beautiful sacramental something that they know you care for them. And I guarantee you, I told them, if your son or your daughter sees you take the time to pray with them and over them every night, what do you think they're going to do? Mm-hmm. What do you think they're going to remember? How do you think they're going to live their faith? How do you think they're going to seek a little bit more of this thing called grace that the church offers? So mm-hmm. I just want to share that story because it ties so into what we're discussing here Yeah. Uh, because it, it's not, it's not profound. God is profound. We are called to be simple and lead them to the profound. It's so, wonderful. And it's a, it's a great application of moving from the, the moving out of that place, ministering from the place of a simplicity, representing Christ, uh, being, being direct and clear and giving somebody what is quite simple and straightforward, but is equally transformative in their life. That's, that's an awesome, uh, awesome, awesome ministry example. Um, hey, Dr. De La Torre. From Unleash the Gospel, uh, the letter, the movement, as you've come into the Archdiocese of Detroit and you're reading the signs of the times and uh, seeing what the the Holy Spirit is doing here, what's what's captivating your heart in the Unleash the Gospel movement, the letter, anything you want to 
take from what you're seeing in the, in the, the flow that's been happening with Unleash the Gospel? I think I have an image here of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Frank Sheed. Um, I have heard the uh, name. Or the great theologian. Uh, he is one of my favorite authors, writers. I have an entire library of nice. him. Um, a contemporary with uh, Chesterton, with, mm. with also with Tolkien. They all knew each other in many mm -hmm. respects. But uh, Frank Sheed was a prolific writer from Australia, and then uh, a lawyer, a convert of the faith, and then went mm. to England. He would be in Battery Park in London, and they had this thing called the oratory where you had within 30 seconds to stand on this box and proclaim your point. If you were able to proclaim your point in front of the crowd, you would stay. If not, they would basically boo you off this little sure. wooden box. So he never got booed off. And he always was able to, to win his point because he was just a master at rhetoric and communication. And so Frank Sheed always had his arms open, had his uh -huh. Bible with him, and uh -huh. would just pro proclaim the glory of God. So I want to share that image with you because that's how I have a visual image of Unleash mm -hmm. the Gospel. Mm -hmm. We are to stand before the throne. And before the throne, stand amongst all the people who are suffering, who are wondering, who are mm -hmm. hurt, who are, may, may sense that God doesn't love them, and give them some hope. Mm -hmm. Proclaim the message that you belong to God. I claim you for Jesus Christ. I think that's part of how I see Unleash the Gospel. Um, how I've gained a better yeah. understanding of studying the document, of speaking with the Archbishop about it literally directly, mm -hmm. yeah. um, of uh, being in, in a constant exposition mode of faith. Uh, and whether yeah. you're an introvert or extrovert, it doesn't matter because you can easily bring someone to Christ just in silence just to your humility and your reflection towards our Lord. So um, to give you an imagery of that, that that's what I would share yeah. with you right now. If I, I love it. I love it. And I think if I could add on to that, one of, there's so much in there's, Unleash the Gospel, the letter. It's, it's such a prophetic document. And for the people listening and just adding on to this, I think the, the apostolic boldness uh, that's mentioned and spoken of, written of in there, mm -hmm. if we pray, if we're praying for the grace for apostolic boldness, then, then this interesting thing happens where the Holy Spirit, the agent of evangelization, just pokes our heart and gives us the ability to take a risk, even if it's my, my brother or it's the person in the grocery store. And it can be as simple as, hey, I, this might sound strange, but I love Jesus. And I feel like he wants me to ask you, is there anything you need prayer for? And then, I mean, that, that, that posture of opening up for him, I mean, I just, he's, he wants it more than we do and he's going to show up. And I love that image of Frank Sheed with the arms open, like, use me, Lord. <laughs> you Absolutely. know, that's another way. That's powerful. Thanks so much, Doctor. You're welcome. That's a really powerful image. Arms open, mm. that just like that posture of like openness mm. and and vulnerability, but mm. like to be equipped with your Bible, be equipped with the scripture, like yeah. uh, that source, and then to be open so you can go out and so the Lord can use you like an instrument. Like you've met, I don't know if you've done it on purpose, Doctor Delatory, but using to use the word instrument like several times throughout this podcast. Like that's just like that is what you're asking the Lord to do, and that's what the joyful missionary disciples who are living. To listening to this podcast will hopefully yeah. be inspired to do in their Lent when this comes out, uh, and in their in their lives ahead of them. So thank you so much. Mm. I'm I'm mm. so grateful. I I'm really inspired by that. Mm. I'm going to end with that image mm. so that people okay. can kind of like wow. kind of take that. Um, it, it that can wow. be your your dream, which you are uh, inviting people to reflect wow. on um, for unleashing the gospel in your tenure here. So I'm really grateful for your time for sharing your thank incredible you. story. Um, and we would actually love 
love for you to begin closing us in prayer. And then Father Patrick can kind of end with a blessing. Oh, Absolutely. Man. No, it's been an honor, uh, Emily and Patrick, to be with you wow. and, uh, for sharing my story. And thank, thank you for you. the opportunity. And I say that with uh, with all grace and humility. Um, oh. I usually don't share too much. Um, r- rarely I've been asked to do it more often. Um, it's just something that um, I-, I guess now is the time. So God Hallelujah. Is this is the time. This is the this appointed is the time. time. This is the appointed <laughs> time. So Jesus. I usually just keep it to myself. But since uh, you mm. asked, I, I guess the Lord compelled me to do so. Woo. And with that, um, let us let us close in the name of the mm. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes. Dear Lord Jesus, may we be beggars before you and really follow the example of both Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then we see the manifestation of this love in you, Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blessing, Lord Jesus, that you've given to us for your incarnate word. We thank you for the beauty of not only your miracles, but the fact that you gave yourself up for us on the cross and you had no reservation whatsoever. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, you still knew that you gave yourself Mm -hmm. up for the sins of humanity. And we thank you for that gift. May we recognize that gift when we can seek your consolation and seek to grow Mm -hmm. in you and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit come and just enliven us because you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are our hope. You are our justice. Mm -hmm. You are our love, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for your beloved son, Dr. Martin De La Torre, and we honor how you've worked in his life and ask that you would, everybody who's listening, that you would stir us stir us to have a a deep passion and zeal to share Jesus with others. And we do ask God for everybody listening, the divine favor of incredible encounters like the doc had with the Eucharist. And we pray this blessing over everybody out there in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to another episode of Open Door Policy, where we hear stories of different joyful missionary disciples in Southeast Michigan and how they encounter, grow, and witness in their love for Christ. You can find more episodes at unleashthegospel.org forward slash podcasts or on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Music. See you next time.